0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastors Becca Bruner and Jonathan Mikesell.
1: On October 6th, 1774, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, wrote the following in his personal journal. I met those of our society who had votes in the ensuing election, and I advised them, one, to vote without fee or reward for the person they judged the most worth. Two, to speak no evil of the person they voted against. And three, to take care their spirits were not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. Sounds like some pretty good guidance for 1774 or 2020. Last week we heard from Pastor Eugene's show about how as Christians we are called to engage with politics while staying rooted in Christ-like discipleship. How to follow Jesus in all areas of our lives, even the political ones. That's easier said than done, isn't it? It's hard for us to talk about politics in church. It's hard for us because we know those one-anothers, we've been talking about them for the last several weeks. We know we're supposed to love one another. We know we're, we're supposed to pray for one another, but when it comes to face-to-face with someone who thinks and believes and even votes differently, well, then it becomes a lot more difficult. Love a Trump supporter? Lay down my life for a Democrat? Pray for them, whoever them may be? We live in a world that's growing more and more polarized around our differences. Yes, our political differences are certainly one of those ways, but it's not just our political differences. In so many areas of our lives, we have adopted this, if you're not for me, you're against me kind of mentality. It's not good. It's not good at all. Certainly not biblical, and it's not the way of Jesus. So we wanted to come before you today, the two of us, to talk about how we are different, different from one another in a lot of ways, to talk about how scripture leads us to relate to one another through those differences.
0: So the passage that we're going to learn from today primarily is Ephesians 5. And this passage is a tricky one. Kind of one of those passages of scripture that manages to push all kinds of personal and emotional and political hot buttons when we read verse 22 especially wives be subject to your husbands as you are to the lord for many of us when we first read that our our, our kind of gut reaction is just want to throw it out for being sexist and, and oppressive and hurtful to women so when we have that reaction, we, we need to remember that, that we try to read the Bible not through our own personal cultural lens, but through the lens of the, its original context and understand what the writer was actually trying to say in the time that he said it. So when we do that with this passage, we find that, that this, these words had a, a vastly different meaning to Paul and to his readers in Ephesus than they do to us today. What, what sounds chauvinistic and oppressive to our modern ears was, in fact, quite a revolutionary and, and even liberating statement in its own time. So, for one thing, when we read verse 22, we need to read it in the context of verses 25 and the verses that follow. When, when Paul says, yes, he does say, wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord, but then he goes on and he says, Husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. Biblical scholar Marvadon points out that at this time Greek and Roman men weren't expected at all to love their wives. They they might love the prostitutes with whom they consorted, but but wives. Well, wives were just baby machines, and expected to to provide home support for this male-centered society. Women in general, and wives in particular, they simply didn't count. So into that culture, Paul tells husbands, love your wives. And he's very clear, don't, don't just love them, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? Well. Christ loved the church so much he laid down his life for the church. He died for the church. So Paul is saying, husbands, love your wives like that. So, verse 22, wives be subject to your husbands, needs to be read in in the context of the verses that follow it, where husbands are given this clear instruction to love their wives. But you also need to read it the other direction. It needs to be read in context of the verses that precede it. See, verse 21 says, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Be subject to one another. We'll go into what being subject means in just a moment, but I, we just wanna point out first that from the onset, Paul applies this admonition equally to everyone, to husbands and to wives, to men and to women. Nobody would have dreamed of saying anything like that in the first century. So, so Paul is, isn't affirming a hierarchy for the home in which men get to keep women under their thumb. No, he is completely upending it.
1: So you may be asking, what in the world does this passage have to do with Jonathan and Becca, co-pastors at Paoli Presbyterian Church? More importantly, what does this passage have to do with me? Well, think about it. We started out today talking about our divisions that are based on differences. What is one of the first and primary differences that we note as human beings? When a woman gets pregnant, what's the first differentiator that is sought to know about that baby? What do people go to the doctor to find out about and throw elaborate parties to to communicate? Is the baby a boy or a girl? In some ways, that is the fundamental, the foundational human difference, the difference between men and women. And so using this passage and the wisdom that it offers for how men and women ought to relate to one another, we wanted to talk to you about how we relate to one another, we, Becca and Jonathan, and we, members and participants in Paoli Presbyterian Church. You see, Becca and I, as some of you know, we're different. We're not the same. We think differently about a lot of things. We vote differently on a number of issues. We each hold pretty passionate views that differ from one another. And yet, we get along with each other. We respect each other. We love one another as sister and brother in Christ. And the way that we do that is, as Paul describes it here, by being subject to one another. That's what we're going to talk about today. Being subject to one another. As we learn what that means, we're going to focus in three particular areas. First, the, the power behind being subject to one another. What gives us the ability to do this? Then we'll talk about the principle of being subject to one another. What it means to be subject to one another. And finally, the practice of being subject to one another. How
0: do we live that
1: out in everyday life?
0: So we've got the power, The principle, and the practice. I'm going to start out here with the power. There is a power at play here. There is something that gives us the ability to be subject to one another, and we understand where that power comes from when we we take Ephesians 5 as a whole. If you've got your Bible open in front of you, you can look with me at the very beginning of Ephesians 5. Paul gives these beautiful invitations He writes, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He says, be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul paints this beautiful picture of what it looks like when you know that you are loved by God in Jesus Christ. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got a new song in your heart. You are giving thanks to God at all times for everything in the name of Jesus Christ. And then, in our American Bibles, uh, the editors kind of made this choice. They put a, a kind of a paragraph break and a new subject heading there, and it makes it look like Paul's changing the subject. You know, okay, so he's, he's talked about what, living in Christ's love and being filled with the Spirit, and now, well, it's time to talk about how we live as husbands and wives. But I think the, the editors kind of took a wrong step here. I, I don't think there was meant to be a division here. Paul wasn't abruptly changing the subject. He's completing one subject. What Paul is saying in this whole passage is that that when you come to know the love of God and Jesus Christ, it changes everything. It changes your perspective on yourself. It it changes your, your perspective on your circumstances. It changes your perspective on your relationships. How you relate to the people in your life changes when you come to know and follow Jesus Christ. He's saying that there's a power gives us the ability to be subject to one another, and we can't do it without that power. Another way of thinking about it. You know, back in the day, there, there would occasionally be these segments on, on TV. I don't know if you ever saw these, you know, a stunt show or a magician would do something, but before they did it, you know, they'd set it all up, but they they before they really put, put on the show, they'd always give this warning. They'd say, kids, don't try this at home. You remember that? Well, that's kind of like what what Paul's saying here. He's saying, don't try this at home. Don't try this without the filling of the Holy Spirit because you're not going to be able to do it. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we come to know and receive the transforming love of God made known to us and available to us through his Son, Jesus Christ, we are subsequently given the Holy Spirit and we are given a power to live and behave and relate to one another in ways we wouldn't be able to otherwise to moving toward one another in our differences, being united despite our differences. We know this isn't a natural human inclination. Every other creature in the natural world, do you know how they respond to difference? Two options, fight or flight. And we humans, we're we're just the same, left to our natural tendencies. When, When we encounter someone who is different than us, we either want to fight them or we want to run as far away from them as we can possibly get. It is only the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ who gives us this incredible power to come together despite our differences. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to be subject to one another
1: so what is the principle of being subject to one another what does that mean well the Greek word that Paul is using here is hupotasso it's a military word a word that means we give up our individual rights for the common good that's the way it is in the military right I mean we don't you don't have one soldier getting up at Six o'clock, the next soldier getting up at nine, and they kind of march their own direction and go their own way. No, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work. In fact, lives are lost when individual soldiers go their own way. You have to serve the common good in the military. You have to come together for one purpose and move in one unified direction. So what this is saying is simply this. As we think about how we relate to one another across our differences... The principle that we need to apply is you always serve the needs of the other before you serve your own. Always serve the needs of the other before you serve your own. Now, I can imagine that some of you are already starting to argue with me on that point. Well, then you're just saying I need to be a doormat. I always just have to give in to the other person. Never getting my own opinion or never having my own say in these things. It's always them and and never me. That's not what I'm saying because it wouldn't be serving the needs of the other to let them walk all over you. It wouldn't be for the common good to never share your perspective and your way of of doing things. Being subject to one another is not being a doormat. It's choosing to take a posture of openness and tolerance to someone who is different from you. It's looking out for their interests in the midst of the situation. Pastor Tim Keller describes tolerance this way. He says, tolerance isn't not having beliefs. It's about how your beliefs lead you to treat people who disagree with you. It's not having different beliefs. It's it's about how your beliefs lead you to treat people who are different from you. And the way we're called to treat people with whom we disagree is to, to serve their needs to before we serve our own for the sake of the common good. It's kind of amazing to think about it, but if if we all did that for everyone, then everyone wins. I once heard it described as each of us trying to outserve the other. How different would our lives be, our world be, or even our church be if that's how we
0: all lived? So we talked about the power filling of the Holy Spirit, talked about the principle, always seeking to serve the needs of the other before you serve your own. So let's get down to the practice. How do we do this? When encountering and engaging with somebody who believes very differently than I do, uh, Jonathan and I have discovered some, some practical do's and don'ts that guide us well as we seek to be subject to one another. First one's this, don't demonize the person or people that you disagree with. We heard earlier from the wisdom of the book of James, James writes, do not speak evil against one another. As a society, we're not very good at that, are we? There's an organization called the More In Common Project that's been uh, doing some research on this, and and it's amazing what they found is that more than ever before, we, we, kind of the the we group, we think pretty highly of ourselves and our group, and we think very, very poorly of of them and their group. They write, Almost two-thirds of Americans describe themselves as either Democrats or Republicans. And with every passing year, each side seems to dislike the other more and more. We trust each other less. We fear each other more, and we struggle to understand how those on the other side of the political fence could possibly hold so many wrongheaded views. On both sides. On both sides people who affiliated with one party referred to members of their own party as honest, reasonable, caring, while members of the other party were described with words like brainwashed, hateful, racist. This happened on both sides. If we're ever going to be able to engage in relationship with someone who's different than us, we cannot do this. We can't see them as all bad and us as all good. Because reality is we know that's not true. So what do we do instead? Don't demonize others. Do see the image of God in yourself and in every other person. Again, some wisdom from James. He writes, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So this starts from a place of knowing your own identity your own identity as a broken and beloved child of God. Both things are true. I am created in the image of God, and I am loved. I am sinful and in need of forgiveness and restoration of Jesus Christ those two don't cancel each other out that's true about me and if it's true about me well then it's true about everybody we are all beautiful and broken and we are all doing our gosh darn best so let's believe that about one another
1: here's another practical do Do ask open-ended questions, and do listen with empathy. Beck and I have always known that we're different in some ways. The most important ways, we're we're the same. We both believe in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We both share a deep desire to call people to follow him as Lord and Savior. The primary stuff of our shared Christian faith, that holds us together. But on some of these more secondary issues, we, we differ, and we know that. We've always known that about each other, and we know that it will be important as we grew into our role as co-pastors to find ways to work together despite our differences. Well, over this past summer, as a lot of the political rhetoric intensified, we both believed strongly that we needed to figure out ways to address how members of our church can live together in Christian love while at the same time holding very different political positions those conversations also underscored that the the differences were not just out there with members of the congregation, they were between the two of us. Then about a month or two ago, we were having a conversation and Becca asked me to share with her what I was thinking about our our current political environment and why I believed what it was that I believed about it. Knowing that our views were different, to be honest, I, I had to take a deep breath and question how open I was willing to be. But I knew if we were going to have an authentic relationship, I needed to be willing to share. And that's when something remarkable happened. I'm used to those kinds of conversations being a bit combative, a bit testy. But Becca didn't do that. She just listened. She allowed me the space to share what I believed and why I believed it. She didn't quickly jump in to give her side of the debate. She didn't interrupt me to show how she thought I was wrong. She just genuinely listened. She genuinely wanted to know more about how and why I thought what I did. And as I reflected on that situation and that experience, I recognized that truly being heard not only allowed me to get out the words and the particular viewpoint that I wanted to express, but it also helped me to feel cared for. It made me much more willing to, frankly, listen to the things that she would say back to me. And I think a big part of the difference in perspective that I gained was that listening wasn't to formulate a better argument or to convince Becca that she was wrong and I was right. Instead, it was about better understanding who the other person is and what motivates that person's life. In the end, they may be completely wrong, but in listening and in understanding, You get to know the person involved. You get to understand what it is that they're thinking through the situation, and it's that that develops genuine relationship. By asking open-ended questions and by listening with genuine empathy, true authentic relationships can and will be developed. So on the one hand, do listen empathetically, but don't use your words as weapons. So often after you've listened to someone who is different from you, the temptation is to jump right in and tell them all the ways that they were wrong. And after a long time of listening, that can be quite an arsenal of things that you can use back as weapons against them. All the words and all the ways that you can attack their point of view and tear down their arguments and prove how right you are and wrong they are. Please take a minute, don't do that. Not just because it's not a nice thing to do. Don't do it because it generally doesn't work. Just ask Megan Phelps Ripper. That maiden name may sound a little bit familiar to you. She's the granddaughter of Fred Phelps Sr., the pastor and founder of Westboro Baptist Church. That's the the church that's become infamous for picketing the funerals of U.S. soldiers with signs saying things like, Thank God for dead soldiers and God hates you. Megan was fully on board throughout her early life. She was right out on that picket line. Then she took her attacks to, to Twitter. And at first she had a lot of people yelling back at her. She'd tweet something inflammatory and her opponents would respond in kind. And she talks about how when people would throw words back at her, when they would argue with her, that just made her dig in even further. But then a few people started to do something a little bit different in their response to her. They started asking questions. They started expressing empathy. One person wrote something like this, it seems like everyone hates you. That must be really hard. And over time, this refusal to engage in argument won Megan over. She now writes, I started to feel empathy And over time, I started to feel like I was becoming part of a community on Twitter. And that was the first time that I really felt ashamed of what I was doing. We were building rapport in a way that made me start to respect what they're thinking and to really consider how others were feeling. And then feeling like I was violating those norms by celebrating these deaths of soldiers. Megan has since left the Westboro Baptist Church and now travels the world to speak and to advocate for dialogue between groups with opposing views. All of that because someone listened. They didn't argue. They just
0: listened. So every week in this One Another series, we've been giving you challenges, ways to put these ideas into practice. So here is your One Another challenge for this week. Find somebody in your life who thinks differently than you and make yourself subject to them by actively listening to them. You can do that by asking two questions. One, help me understand what you believe. So ask that question. Help me understand what you believe. And as they talk, as they share, you can ask another question. What, what brought you to those conclusions? Help me understand what you believe and what brought you to those conclusions. That's it. Ask those two questions and actively listen. You can ask more questions as you go. You can keep listening. And you know what? As they talk, you may completely disagree with what they're saying. It's okay. You can still be subject to that person. By asking and by listening, you can serve their needs for the sake of the common good. Friends, what it all boils down to is this, simply this. We seek to come together across our differences. We seek to be subject to one another, not because it's a good and nice thing to do. We do it Because in Jesus Christ, that's what God did for us. You know, the word gospel, it means, simply translated, it means good news. And it really is the best news of all. The gospel is the news that God created the universe. And because of sin and rebellion, humanity was separated from God. But the good news is that God didn't give up on his creation. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. He didn't have to. He chose to. Jesus chose to subject himself to us, for us. Jesus gave up his individual rights to serve the common good. Paul tells us about it in his letter to Philippians. He says, Jesus did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself. Taking on the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. He subjected himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus subjected himself for us, so we can subject ourselves for one another. We can love because we have been loved. We can serve because we have been served. We can meet one another, relate to one another, reach across to one another in our difference because we know that in Jesus Christ, God has done all that and more for us. Amen.